I'm delighted to welcome back Stuart Oldcraft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning to you, Stephen, on this horribly wet day. <laughs> Very grey, wet and miserable. I hope yes. you've got your umbrella. I do. And how about you, Barry, our very own international economics correspondent? Good morning to you, Barry. And what's the weather like in Washington? Well, good morning to you, Stephen. I have to tell you that uh, we're not really in a drought here in uh, mid-Atlantic USA, but it's very dry. We need rain. So send it our way, will you, Stuart? Um, I'll blow. I'll blow hard. (laughs) (laughs) You'll need a lot of breath for that, I think, Stuart. Anyway, delighted to have the opportunity to chat with you both again about the headlines. I think we need to start with the economic puzzle, as we're calling it in the US, a reduction in inflation, along with an unexpected increase in employment. Barry, can you can you solve this conundrum for me? No, I can't solve it, but I can give you my two cents. I think the Federal Reserve is experiencing a really fantastic period of high-risk interest rate rises that have not, as the doomsayers predicted, caused a recession. So you've had all these interest rate rises, as we've heard, since March of 22, 10 consecutive meetings, and yet, as you just said, Stephen, we're still creating 330,000 jobs. So that doesn't solve the conundrum you mentioned, but I think it does point out that there's strength in the U.S. economy, and probably if they pause now, as what, 90% of all analysts believe they will later on Wednesday, then we'll see what the effect of that will be. But the interest rate rises, as Stuart Allcroft likes to say, are not over. Uh, thank you, Barry. Yes. Well, uh, yesterday I was thinking that um, interest rates might go up, but now we've seen the inflation figures, I think it's unlikely that they will go up this week. Um, The point is that uh, inflation is coming down, and one of the reasons why interest rates have been going up in the US is to try to um, choke off inflation and try to make uh, sort of get inflation back to the Fed's target of 2%. Now, we're still quite a long way off that 2% uh, target, um, but it does look as though it's going in the right direction, and so the Fed will probably take the view that uh, at this, t- this point in time, for June at least, uh, there will be no point in increasing interest rates. So I believe the odds have gone up again, so that uh, possibly will be um, uh, at least one or maybe two more interest rate increases before the end of the year, but it may be a couple of months now before we see that. Okay, I don't think other, well, some other economists, I think the majority of economists are thinking the rate will stay the same, but some are saying the underlying rate is still going up. And really, the biggest impact on the fall was due to a drop in fuel prices. So um, I, I guess we could still be in for a surprise later. Well, yes, I mean, the well, whole point could. is that if fuel prices are coming down because they got up to very, very high levels in the aftermath of the, uh, of the Russia-Ukraine uh, war. But now that they are coming down in the U- they've been coming down in the U.S., they're coming down in Europe, um, yes, it, it will help to improve uh, the position from an inflation perspective. But bear in mind that we're only talking here about the U.S. Europe, on the other hand, is in higher levels of inflation and having more troubles trying to reduce it. So, so it's a fairly different position on the other side of the Atlantic. 
Uh, Barry, anything to add to that? Well, simply that uh, anyone who goes to a restaurant anywhere in the United States knows that um, restaurant prices have really risen far more than 4% over the past year, far more. And food is the principal problem in restaurant prices going up. So we've got an inflation problem. And Stephen, you can say, as you do rightly, that inflation is at, what, a 13-month low, but 4% is still far too high. So more interest rate rises coming, but uh, we'll see the effect. They always talk about interest rates as having a lag. Well, they have over 20, uh, not 20 months, but over 14 months, we haven't seen any negative effect of those interest rates rising. So your best guess is uh, interest rate in July? Yeah, I think so. We'll see. But, you know, they like to say, and there's, what, 18 members of the Federal Open Market Committee, they like to say they're data dependent. So they'll wait on more data that will come out of the Labor Department, the Commerce Department, Bureau of Economic Statistics, and be guided by that. But uh, if I were a betting person, I would say probably in July they will raise. Yes, I, I mean, I think July is a very good chance. It's a couple of months on from uh, uh, other other issues that have caused them to slow down. Um, but, I, but it is the case, and I think it is widely expected among um, market analysts that the Fed will have at least another possibly two increases over the course of the next six months. So, in other words, before the end of the year. And th therefore, what that also means is that there is no chance of the Fed reducing interest rates, mm. which is what people will look forward to at some point, possibly not until 2024. Now, what, is, what does that mean? It, well, it means that um, uh, stock markets can continue their upward movement. We've seen such positive rises in the S&P 500, um, albeit that it's been led by seven or eight stocks only, um, and most of the rest of the index has not benefited uh, quite as much. It's, uh, but it is the, the, these trillion-dollar companies that have been leading the index very sharply upwards. And uh, so that's been very positive for the US market. Well, I have to say July is a very auspicious month because both Carolyn and my, me have my birthdays, have our birthdays rather, on the 1st of July. So I'm sure there's going to be lots of other good news coming out that month. Anyway, let's move on to China now because there was other surprising news. I kind of categorised last night when I woke up this morning as a series of surprises. Many economists were surprised by China cutting short-term rates yesterday and took it as a sign officials are stepping up stimulus to boost recovery. Barry, also take it as a sign of more to come, and if so, what do you think could be coming? Well, yes, they're trying to stimulate the economy, and uh, that is uh, what lower interest rates do. As that um, report you had from the BBC from Michelle Fleury said, when you raise interest rates, you make the cost of borrowing more expensive, so you discourage people buying on credit. And in China, you've got uh, an economy that is not growing as fast as the authorities would like. So you cut interest rates and they've cut it just by a bit. And you've got lower inflation in China. So, you know, China is uh, as there's so many experts in Hong Kong who know this far better than I. But we're looking at a growth rate of what, three to six percent. My favorite China watcher here in D.C. thinks that the Chinese economy will grow 6% this year. Nonetheless, it's in a lull right now, and that's why they've cut interest rates. They may do it again. Um, yeah, the, the reason for the 
cut in the reverse repo rate is simply because the economy is slowing down a little bit more than the government would like. Um, yes, it is still going, growing faster than most other economies, certainly large economies around the rest of the world, except for India, um, but also because uh, um, China sees some problems on the horizon within its own economy, not least within the property sector, but also um, some other parts of the, the economy where the manu manufacturing sector, which is slowing down quite sharply too. Um, People are not buying goods as much as they were in China. That's another aspect. And, uh, but service economy is, is, is picking up. One other point that's possibly worth uh, bearing in mind is that the level of cash owned by individuals and corporates in, in China is probably pushing up to record levels again. Um, it's cash, not investment into securities of any sort. So th that's something that China is struggling to, to achieve. And uh, as a result of this, um, Chinese stock markets have been pretty flat or been going uh, negative by comparison to most of the rest of the world. And when we put it in perspective, a 0.1% or um, of short-term rates, is that really going to have any impact? No. Well, no. that was a good answer. <laughs> That's what we like, a yes or no. Is it a no from you as well, Barry? Well, I think so. Yes, I agree. Another factor that I think is clearly in the mind of the PBOC is they're not getting any foreign direct investment. You know, the United States-China trade friction or crisis or trade war has really discouraged not just United States companies from investing in China, European companies, and domestic investment. You know, the state sector is, again, asserting itself more than the private sector. So they're short of investment, meaning they're not creating enough new jobs. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the world is very underinvested into China, and I've, I make this point quite often in, um, in many of the business meetings I see. I mean, take, take just a very simple example of Australia. China is Australia's biggest trading partner. It's worth more than 15% of Australian trade, mm. and yet, on average, Australia is invested less than 1% into Chinese securities um, through its pension funds and other sources. And that is fairly typical of most of the rest of the world at the moment. Uh, we do have, um, for example, two major Canadian pension funds, one of which is 10% invested into China, the other is trying to be zero invested into China. So, you know, we have this is, this is the dichotomy that is being faced by investors around the world at the moment, and, uh, and China is probably not helping itself either in some respects. It needs to make things a little bit clearer um, in terms of how it intends to go forward. Of course, a reduction in, 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 in the re reverse repo rate is just one start, but the, there are other problems on the horizon there. OK, well, keeping on China, and another surprise, well, it was a surprise to me anyway, uh, the Bank of China has issued a tokenized security. Legislative Council member Johnny Ung has invited Coinbase, this was a surprise, which is interesting as it's under investigation by the SEC and other exchanges to operate in Hong Kong. Um, it does look as if Hong Kong is aiming to become a virtual asset hub and the city could serve as China's gateway to the crypto market. How do you see this playing out, Stuart? 
Well, uh, first of all, um, uh, the LegCo member, Johnny, um, probably needs to have a word with the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission because they're the ones that allow the licenses to be given, not uh, LegCo. Um, secondly, as um, I've made clear very many times on this program, I'm not a great fan of the crypto market personally. Um, and I think that uh, anybody participating in it needs to consider it a, a, as a very high risk area. Um, are, we, are we willing to take those high risks? I don't think so at the moment. Yes, Hong Kong does want to become um, a virtual asset hub, but it wants to do it in its own way. Yes, um, the Bank of China may have issued a tokenized security, and, and we also know that the Hong Kong Monetary Authority is intending to have a, a sort of e-Hong Kong dollar version fairly soon. So um, this, these are all little steps but we shouldn't be seeing them as mainstream. And I am thinking a tokenized security isn't as high risk. It isn't very high risk, no. Yeah, okay, so we're taking baby steps. Uh, Barry, what do you have to add? Well, let's not forget that crypto has been made illegal in China since 2019. And you've had your experience in Hong Kong with Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried, who was in Hong Kong until he decamped to uh, the Bahama Islands. And he's under house arrest in California. And the American, you know, the, the uh, regulator is going after crypto. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm with Stuart on this one. I'm not a fan of crypto and be careful. As I will repeat again, Charlie Munger says, rat poison. <laughs> yes, proceed Good with one. care and caution, I think. Um, okay, I think we've got time for one more question. The government easing rules for foreign workers. I'm on the committee of the Hong Kong Management Association, and many of our members are really struggling to find employees with the right skills at the moment in Hong Kong. However, the scheme is only going to help certain industries. It sounds like finance industry isn't one of them. Do you think the government is doing enough to help with the labour shortage? And what else do you think can be done, Stuart, about well, a minute yes, on I this? Mean, we have a labour shortage, but then so do many other countries around the world. Um, and we, we've heard from from airlines, for example, that they can't get enough staff either to fly planes or to um, help people on board planes. Um, this, is, this is a worldwide problem. It's not because there aren't enough people out there able to work. It's that there are probably too many people out there who are not willing to work. And that's yeah, a big difference. I think so. And just Barry, quickly, because we're coming up to the news now, uh, what Stuart's saying is it's not just the problem in Hong Kong, which is absolutely right. So I'm wondering, with your knowledge of all the world's economies, particularly the US, anything we can learn from them that might help resolve our talent shortage in Hong Kong? Well, when there's too much money in the economy, uh, people don't have an incentive to go to work. If they've got cash from not working, why would they work? So we're coming off the COVID uh, period in which there was a lot of money in people's pockets. We've got tremendous distortions here in the United States. Can you learn from that? I think the situation is different, but there may be a lesson there. I'm not sure, but we still got a very distorted labor market here in the USA. Barry and Stuart, it's always a pleasure to hear your insights. And Barry, we'll be catching up again later where we're going to talk a bit more about the US and tech. So thank you for joining us for now.